I heard about a pastor. The church gave him a suit for his birthday, and he took the suit to the tailors and got it all tailored. And a few weeks later, he got up and announced that next week he'd be preaching in his birthday suit. <laughs> he didn't know why nobody showed up, but uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 7 today. Today, we're going to look at death and next week at birth. Because next week is Christmas Sunday. Sunday Eve, we will have our 1030 service and uh, always have, have some sort of service on Christmas. Last year, uh, Christmas Day fell on Sunday, and that's always a pastor's nightmare because people say, well, we should have church. That's what it's all about. And others say, but it's a time for family. And uh, you kind of schizophrenic at that time, you know, I don't know what to do. We had a good service last year on Christmas Day. We had a full uh, fellowship hall. We thought we should have probably met in here, but we had a good time together. And we will next week as well on Christmas Eve uh, at 1030 in the morning is when we'll be spending our time together. Uh, what a great book, the book of Acts, the history of the early church. And today, as I said, we're going to look at the death of Stephen. Dr. Luke had to be fascinated when he wrote about all the things he wrote about, resurrections and healings. And here he writes about Stephen and his martyrdom. And of course, a Stephanos is a crown of suffering given to those that suffer for our Lord. But I was thinking about this this week, and I've thought about this before. Sometimes I think it's easier to die for Christ than to live for Christ. You know, I think of Jody Erickson Tata, other folks who've had a life of misery. And I don't mean her life's been miserable because she's had all kinds of joy with the, her closeness with the Lord. But to live all your life in a wheelchair... And, and, and Mike, of course, I could talk about Mike, but a lot of people who have suffered for the Lord. Did you know we're called to a life of suffering? Are you willing to suffer? Romans 12 says, present our bodies a living sacrifice. We don't offer a, a dead animal. Jesus was a lamb slain once for all, but we offer ourselves to God which may include suffering. It may not, but we certainly should expect it, be called to it, and realize that we'll be rewarded if we suffer for the Lord. And I love that little chorus, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So here is now uh, Stephen. He's going to be martyred uh, as he preaches the word. We're going to read just a few verses, verses 54 to 60 of Acts chapter 7. Stand with me, I'm sorry. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. The Greek says they gnashed at him. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand and said, Behold, I see heavens open and the Son standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. You all know who Saul becomes, Paul. Here he is killing Christians and he will be stoned himself. Quit preaching, pastor, and read. Okay, I will. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, 
Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a world, walk in the world. Help us to understand, to be able to make an application to our lives, to be obedient to you today. If there's anybody here who does not know Jesus, we pray that they'll know Jesus today. We, we're thankful for a young lady who wants to join our church today. And we ask you, Lord, just to speak to hearts about all the matters that are on our hearts. And I don't know the hearts, but you do. Bless now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When they heard this, it says they rushed at him, they gnashed at him with their teeth, uh, cut his sermon short. What are you talking about, Pastor? Remember last week, because Stephen said that they were uncircumcised of heart, that uh, the temple wasn't really the uh, only place or the place of God. And he said to them that they betrayed and murdered the Messiah. And that angered them. I mean, they were very emotionally passionate, charged up and angry at this preacher. And so they rushed at him and, and grabbed him. And, and we know they, the Bible uses that expression in Psalm 35 about gnashing of teeth. The Gospels talk about weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And so they're very angry. And they can't stand what he said. But in verse 55, he doesn't respond as a carnal Christian. He doesn't say, hey, this is unfair. This is unnecessary. It says here that he responded correctly. And, and I will talk about that in a minute. But why? Because we learned in chapter 6 that he was a man full of, or we could say controlled by, the Holy Ghost. He was also, it says there, he was full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, full of faith, and full of power in chapter 6. That's why God used him. That's why he was a great deacon, because he was controlled by the Lord. And so he didn't respond in an ugly manner. Uh, we know he sees heaven, the Bible says in verse 56, the Bible says he sees heaven, the glory of God. In the Old Testament, that was the Shekinah glory. I love it where Jesus in John 17 says, he says to God, please glorify me with your glory. You know, there'll never be Ichabod in heaven. The glory will never depart from heaven. God will always be one of glory, and we owe him praise and glory. Uh, Romans 3 tells us that we fall short of the glory of God. We do because of our sin. So here's Jesus is standing to welcome Stephen. I was reading about judges would stand to render judgments. And we find in Daniel 7, the Son of Man is vindicating Israel. And here he's receiving Stephen. He's saying here, you're righteous, Stephen. Why was Stephen righteous? Because of Jesus Christ's work at Calvary. Righteousness was imputed, placed upon Stephen. And Stephen's sin was placed upon the Lord. And so Stephen's preaching about this wonderful Messiah and, and talking about, uh, you know, how important it was to accept him and how they had missed, the, missed accepting him and how, how wrong they were. And so they're going to uh, stone him. They're going to kill him. I was reading Earl Rodmacher, who I heard preach at our church in Lansing, a great expositor, said that they would take these people outside the city because you couldn't cap, use capital punishment in city limits, and they would dig a hole. They'd have a hole often dug and use it over and over, I guess. And he said they'd throw people in that 12 feet deep hole head first. 
And then they'd take big rocks and throw them upon these people. But he goes on to say, probably in this case, they were so angry and emotional and out of control, they probably didn't do that. They just immediately began to kill him as soon as they got him outside the city. But here, I think it's interesting to find Jesus here on the right hand of God, always the place of honor. In Revelation 2, verse 1, he's holding the seven stars, the pastors in his right hand. I love Psalm 110, verse 1 is something all of you ought to study. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit here. I love that. And we find he's always in this place of honor. Um, and we find that, it, that, that, that he's in heaven now. And you know what he's doing? He's making intercession for us. He prays for us. I love that. And so here we find Stephen is being killed and Jesus is going to receive him. Stephen testifies that he sees the Son of Man. And that's a great title of incarnation we find in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel uses it to refer to his second coming to the earth. But here Stephen sees the Son of Man. A title found often in the Gospels and used by our Lord himself. And using that title, of course, would anger people. In Mark 14, Jesus, verse 62, said he was a son of man at God's right hand. And you know that would do to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that would just anger them. In Luke 12, he said, whosoever confesses me before men, the son of man will confess him before the Father in heaven. And this caused them to want to kill him because here he is saying he is God and he's equal with God. And they, they, they were monotheists like we are. They didn't quite understand everything. They were lost in their sin. They really didn't know God the way they should, but they knew about Deuteronomy 6.2. Our God is one God. We agree with that. Our God is one God. Jesus Christ is that God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so he's saying, I am God in the flesh. I'm the Son of Man. And that made the Jews want to kill him. Deuteronomy 6.2, I think we put it on the screen already. <clears throat> Did we get it up there? I don't know. Thank you, Kenneth. And there it says, our God is one God. And of course, what would the law say in Leviticus chapter 23? That if you didn't teach that or abide by that, you would be killed. They would stone you, kill you for not accepting this doctrine. Today I was talking last night, uh, Frank asked me to speak for a few minutes, and I said, we see the false church on the horizon. We see people who say doctrine's no longer important. Churches have in their doctrinal statement a statement that doctrine's not very important. It's vitally important. Preaching the truth, the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ is vitally important. We have a lot of times now churches, they have one big idea and they talk about this big thing and they don't mention doctrine at all. There's no exposition. My pastor had the great ability to preach an expository message and bring out the big practical idea. I love that. And uh, we know that we have to teach and preach sound doctrine to be obedient to God, to study that we're not ashamed, and to rightly divide, to cut it straight. And so here we know that um, um, Stephen is preaching, and, and, and they're, uh, they're angry, and they're going to kill him, uh, but Jesus, of course, receives him. Verse 57, being convicted, they covered their ears. They were so enraged that they just jumped on him just jumped on him and, and killed him. No trial, 
No permission from Rome. Look at uh, John 18, 31. John 18, 31. <clears throat> Just so you know how odd a line they were. Isn't it amazing that the Pharisees who, who taught obedience to the law would then go and kill Stephen without a trial? In 1831, then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. They were trying to submit to the Romans, and the Romans were saying, We'll let you judge him. But the truth is, the Pharisees and Sadducees violated Roman law by killing Stephen here. They were so enraged they couldn't control themselves. Emotions are a powerful thing. And we all have to keep our emotions in check, don't we? It's so easy to ball game. I'd pick on Lloyd. He's not here today. He told me a story about going to a ball game and getting all upset at the officials. And I listened intently and didn't say much because I really couldn't say much. Because I had four boys that, and a daughter that played a lot of sports. And, uh, you know, we're talking half dozen sports. And I made all their sports. I coached them. And there were times I got technicals as a coach and lost my control, of, lost control of my emotions. And here, that's the way it was, except intensely in their anger. And they murder him. And what do they do? They take their clothes. This is interesting because normally they strip prisoners naked. They take their own clothes off and they lay on their outer garments at the Apostle Paul. Wait, oh, wait a minute. Saul, won't call him the Apostle yet. They lay him at Saul's feet. You know, I thought that was interesting and I went over that a lot this week and I thought about that. Scholars said they did this because they did want, not want to be held responsible as being false witnesses. So they stripped themselves and laid their, their garments at the feet of Paul. And uh, we can put Deuteronomy 24 up there, but we know that false witnesses would be put to death. If, if you were a false witness, you violated the law, and your punishment was death, and that scared them. I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 17, 17, if you will, with me. Read another verse here real quick. 17, 17, it says here, Neither shall he multiply, oh, I'm in Deuteronomy, I mean 17.7, excuse me, says here, the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people. So the, 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 the way they executed someone is the witnesses actually would be involved in that and they'd be the first ones to throw the stones. Remember when witnesses brought the adulterous woman to Jesus and threw her at his feet? And we know that's a great message in and of itself. But Jesus said, he who hath no fault cast the first stone. And there's a lot to that story that we don't know, but we know that the witnesses would cast the first stone. And so they lay their clothes at, at Saul's feet. And Saul's a young man. The Bible said they, they laid him at the young man Saul's feet. He's probably in his 20s. And he's got his permission from the chief priest. And here are the Sanhedrin listening, and they're angry. And uh, the Sanhedrin crucifies, uh, stones Stephen. Look at um, chapter 22. They stone Stephen to death. In chapter 22, now remember the rest of the story. We're going to talk about Saul's conversion here one day. And, and Saul becomes a Christian. 
And the disciples were so afraid of him, and they didn't trust him. They didn't want to be around him. We know all that. We're not going to cover that now. But in chapter 22, verse 20, something about Saul that interests me, now Paul, he never forgot this experience with Stephen. He was no doubt somehow involved in the decision to kill Stephen because they brought the clothes to him. And we'll, we'll read more about his persecution. But in 22.20, look what he says. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. He had remembered that. You can imagine he would have never forgotten that. And when Saul was being stoned, what do you think he thought of? Remember, Saul was stoned and left for dead. And, and, and I believe that he did die there. I believe he was caught up into the third heaven there. But that's an interesting story. But, but here, he never forgot it. And so going back to our text, he had been part of the decision to kill Stephen. And uh, Saul would later suffer great persecution, wouldn't he? In chapter, two, uh, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we find all the perils in Saul's, all the things that happened. He was shipwrecked. He was scourged. He was beaten. And those were different. The, the Romans would scourge you. The temple priest would have you beaten. And all these things he went through and being stoned. And he must have thought during those times how he was one of the main people in Jewish leadership to persecute Christians. Stephen's dying in like Christ. He says, receive my spirit. And he knelt down, and well, here's what Stephen said. I love this. Lay not this sin to their charge. In Zechariah, and in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, Zechariah said something similar. And of course, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen was a man uh, who was just a, a, a loving, godly man, full of wisdom and power and all these things. He's being murdered unjustly, and he still thinks of others. You know, we know a lot about ourselves by how much we think about others. In our prayer lives, I always encourage you to pray about others before you pray about yourself. Be a person who thinks of others. And, and that's what Stephen is doing here. He's concerned for their souls to the point of death. Father, forgive them. He wanted them to know the Lord. He wanted the Jews to know the Lord. Paul even said in Romans, I'd just soon me go to hell be accursed for my people, the Jews. Isn't that interesting? He had that much love for Israel. He would have maybe died like Jesus Christ on a cross, of course, he did die a martyr, but, but he, he would have done anything to see his Jewish brethren saved. And then it says he fell asleep. I'm glad the Bible said we should all, all not sleep. You know, maybe the Lord will come today and take us out, but it is appointed once for us uh, to die, and then the judgment's appointed unto man to die. So we will all die except the rapture, if it, the rapture takes place. So pick up in verse 1. And connects these two sections. Remember, there are not chapter divisions in the New Testament. And Saul was consenting unto his death. At that time, there were a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. Great persecution. We find great persecution, great lamentation, great joy, great power, all in this chapter. 
great persecution. The Jewish believers, the Hellenists, or some we'd call them Grecians, were, they were slightly different, but they're scattered. They were saved, now they're scattered all over. And that's part of God's plan. Persecution strengthened the church, and it spread the gospel. In fact, the word scatter is an interesting word. It's translated sowing in Matthew, where it talks about sowing seed. One writer I read said, the seed was the blood of persecution was a seed that brought people to Christ. And so here, persecution is helping the gospel to be sown to the Gentiles. Believers are being scattered. In fact, a couple of our New Testament books were written to scattered believers. I mean, believers were all over the world. Remember, when Rome came in later, Jews would be scattered all over the world. God's already scattering Christians over the world, and they're going to plant churches with the Gentiles, and Jews will hear the gospel all over the world as well. And then these devout men, two Greek words here, the meaning good and careful men carried Stephen to be buried and lamented for him. Now the law would forbid them to weep for a convicted man, but at this point they don't care. They didn't care much because this is an illegal trial, and so they're just broken for Stephen. They loved him, and it says in verse three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. That's an interesting word. Uh, in chapter 80, if you can put Psalm 80, 13 up there. Thank you, Kenneth. It's the same word used in the Greek Old Testament. The Greeks had an Old Testament, the Septuagint. That was the Bible of their day, the Greek Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. They had a Greek Old Testament because they spoke Greek. They also had Hebrew. But it's the same word in the Greek Old Testament translated. Uh, the word would mean ravaged. And you find it in chapter 80, verse 13 of Psalms, where uh, the wild boar would ravage the vines. What was Saul doing? He was trying with all his power to kill the church, to stop the church, to kill Christians. And Jesus said before he left, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Saul wasn't going to be able to stop the church but boy, the church would have an impact on his life. History tells us he started 51 or 52 churches. After the persecution, he delivered to Christians, I mean just harming the church. God would save him and use him to build his church. I love that. It says here, therefore, <clears throat> they were scattered abroad. It went, they, they, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. So God, again, used this persecution to do what? Spread the word. To spread the word. I'm going to ask you a few questions today. I know I went rather rapidly, too fast often, but I want to ask you several questions. First of all, are you willing to offer yourself as a sacrifice? Remember I said earlier it'd be easier sometimes to die for the Lord than to live for him? If you're here today and you've had problems in your life, there's been times you thought, I'd rather just die. Boy, it's quiet now. We've all had the thought, oh man, I am tired of this world. I'm tired of this body. I'm tired, especially when you're in the middle of trials. You have that brief thought, and then the Lord says, don't think like that. But if you're thinking about that, quite often you need to get some counsel. But it's sometimes easier just to think, I wish I could just get out of this world, get out of this body. 
But God has you here for a purpose. I've told you when my dad had Lou Gehrig's disease, he thought, what in the world is God keeping me here for? My poor wife, my family, I don't enjoy life, but he won a person to the Lord in his retirement place there. And the guy trusted the Lord and he was so thrilled to be saved because God had a plan for my dad. It wasn't just to get a disease and die. And I thought about my father-in-law said, I don't know why I'm, the Lord has me here. And his last days, he's in the hospital quite a bit. But, you know, the nurses met him and interacted with him. And he told them about the Lord. And then people that came to visit him interacted with the nurses. You see, God's plan is a big plan we can't quite understand. But part of his plan is you. And just Stephen's life, the, the death of Stephen seems to be an end, but it was only a beginning, wasn't it? Because what happened? The gospel was spread and churches were started and people were saved. My next question goes right along with the first one. Are you aware of the fact that God plants you where you are? You say, well, we like this house in this neighborhood and we bought the house and we liked it. Did you know God was involved in that? And he has you there for a reason. Make the best of it. When I was a young married guy, we were renting in East Lake and we had a big rat in our bathroom. My wife said, there's a rat in the bathroom. I said, honey, it's not a rat, it's a mouse. And I went in there and on the back of our toilet was a great, big, huge black rat. And I grabbed the broom and swung and that rat jumped over the broom and ran right between my feet and I jumped all the way up to the ceiling. <laughs> Down in the basement it went. So we wanted to get out of the, you know, the tough area and we went big time. We moved to Tree and Sky Mobile Home Park. Got us a single wide, and we enjoyed it there. But before too long, I realized, I mean, we're newlyweds, and I, I'm, I'm realizing there's a lot of problems in this trailer park. People with problems. One day I woke up from a nap, and there's a baby laying in bed next to me. My wife's standing over. That's her way of telling me she wants to start having them, you know. And there's this beautiful little baby, and I'm just oohing and on. It was such a beautiful baby. And I said, whose baby is this? And she named the, the girl who was a very unclean, ugh. And I said, ugh. And she said, shame on you. And I thought, you know what? We're here for a reason. My attitude in the neighborhood changed. I said, we are here for a reason. We can witness to people. Maybe we'll be, have an impact in someone's life just by living here. But God plants us. He plants us, and, and I love that about God. He has a plan, and he even involves me and you. Third thing I want to ask you, do you realize that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you? I mean, he's aware of every problem you have. He's, he's making intercession for you, and, and he's in heaven. He's overall, but yet he's involved. He knows what's going on in our world. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows all about your problems. He knows about your attitudes towards your parents, young people. He knows about how you treat your mothers and your dads. He knows the mistakes you're about to make. He knows about the ones you've made and covered up because he's the all-knowing God. And finally... Are you like Stephen, where you can forgive people? 
I mean, Jesus and Stephen, two great examples of forgiveness. I mean, you just think of his attitude towards people who are killing him. And I use this quite often, but I think about our Lord Jesus, who knew all things. He knew Thomas would doubt him, Peter would deny him, and Judas would betray him. But the way he treated them, you'd have never known that Jesus knew that, would you? Because he loved them. And our Lord loves us today. Just who we are. He loves unconditionally. As a Heavenly Father, sometimes he chastens us, but he loves us. And, you know, for some of you, it may be difficult right now. And you may think, I wish Jesus would come. We all wish that. <laughs> but difficulty is going to come up in your life. Persecution, health problems, marital problems, family problems. But remember this. God plants you where you are, and he wants you to live for him. We don't have a long time to live for God. Amen. Jesus said 70 years. The psalmist said 80. And a lot of us are on, a lot of you are on borrowed time. I'm only 49. But <laughs> we, don't, we don't have a lot of time left to live for our Lord. And when you consider our brief moment in this world, the vapor of time, and compare it to eternity, You'll wish you'd lived every minute for God. In 50 years, where are we going to be? Even most of our young people probably be gone. But life's a vapor. Make the most of it. Be like Stephen, who is so much like the Lord. And make a difference in this world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. I don't always do it justice, Lord, but you sure do. You speak to hearts. You know what's going on. You knew who'd be here today, and you knew what's on each and every person's heart. Thank you for being the all-knowing God and for sending a Savior that was all-loving and caring, who loved the very people, who died for the very people who would kill him. And love those who betray him and deny him and doubt him. He is the only God, the one and only true God, that would send his son. And Jesus is the only one Savior that could be everything he needed to be. Thank you for that. Bless now. If there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus, please save them today. In Jesus' name we pray.